A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to Move, a podcast which is hosted by me, Jamie Lang, and my business partner, Ed Williams. Now, in 2012, Ed and I founded our confectionery business, Candy Kittens, a business which I'd actually dreamed of having ever since I was six years old. And honestly, we wouldn't have achieved half of what we've been able to without all the amazing tips and advice we picked up along the way. Move stands for motivation, opportunity, vision, entrepreneurship. And each episode of the podcast, we're bringing you the stories of founders, innovative thinkers, entrepreneurs, and winners who show us all what's possible with hard work and focus. So whatever you're moving towards, we hope today's guests will open your eyes to what you can achieve. This is Move. Ed, uh, a little bit, uh, I don't want to kick things off in a bad way. I don't want to kick things off in a bad way, but uh, we're going to have to because we have to state the obvious. This is the last episode uh of the first series, the last episode before the new year. I, we actually didn't want to, we want to continue it, but we thought that we would just give everyone, because it's Christmas time, a little bit of a break, right? But it's not the last episode ever. No, obviously so, you know, not. S- silver linings and all that. I mean, we've had a wicked, wicked first series. I think for us, the reaction to the podcast has been better than we could have hoped for. We're, we're so, so happy and have spoken to some pretty incredible people. Mm-hmm. We have. So this is the last one of our first series, but we're going to be back in the new year with... Um, uh, our second series, and we're kicking off with a pretty special guest, which is very exciting. However, but for now, we have a wonderful person on the podcast to end the series, and we couldn't think of anyone better to end the series. We have Rebecca Hall. Now, Rebecca Hall has the lofty accolade of having brought the first cannabis beverage drink to the market in Europe. Now, she started her brand from scratch in consumer products and built it from the ground up in one of the most competitive spaces, drinks. Did the above without a background in drinks, consumer products, or drugs. Spent 10 years in banking industry before starting her own business. Also a qualified yoga teacher, but wanted to be an American football player when she was eight years old. This girl dreams big. I think it's fair to say Rebecca probably is the queen of CBD. There's not anything really worth knowing that this lady doesn't know. Um, To go out there and do what she's done and the background, I mean, she makes us feel pretty silly actually also what's so great is that uh, she went into this whole industry without any background in it uh, exactly the same as us we had no idea how to make sweets and no. a lot of people think that you have to have a knowledge of the industry in order to do it it's not true Rebecca didn't have it she went and did it she saw a gap in the market she was interesting and innovative and that's what we love CBD is going to be if not already, one of the key trends in food and drink. So anybody that's thinking at home that they might start out in the food and drink world, this is definitely an episode for you. Loads to learn, consumer business from a completely financial background. Really, really interesting. Should we do this? Here we go. Rebecca Hall on Move. Hey, Rebecca, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Uh, You've brightened up my day with your bright jumper. Oh, yeah, I look a bit like a traffic cone, don't I? You know, you look great. Yeah. You look Thank amazing. You. Um, hey, listen, so uh, welcome to Move. Um, Thank you. We were just explaining to you what about the whole whole podcast. And uh, what I love about you already is that you grew up near Glastonbury. I did, yeah. Does that mean as a child you always went to Glastonbury Festival? Uh, I did climb over the fence a few times, which is not possible now 
both because I couldn't if I tried and there isn't really a fence you can climb over. But I did, used to go as a child. Did my first hitchhiking back from Glastonbury Festival, two miles down the road. Really? How yeah. old were you then? Uh, the hitchhiking, I was about 14, yeah. You were 14 when yeah. you hitchhiked? Yeah. And and your and your parents didn't worry about you or anything like that? Because when I was knew, 14 years honest. old, they didn't care? Uh, no, they definitely cared. I just don't think they knew where I was, to be honest. Um, but yeah, no, I, I went last year. And I went the year before. Yeah, so I do, I do regularly go, yeah. It's amazing. Ed, have you ever done Glastonbury? I haven't, no. We, we were having this um, fight in the office last week of who could get the most computers up their hands to try and oh, join the queue and get some it? tickets. But uh, because they, they sold out. So two, I, I saw this thing about Glastonbury that 2.4 million people were trying to get their hands on tickets and it sold out in 30 minutes. And it's the 50th anniversary next year as well. So it's big like, one. It's, it's big a big one, one. yeah. So, so hang on. So, were you kind of uh, growing up? Were you a bit of a? Were you a wild child? Were you a kind of a spontaneous kid? Do you have any fears or anything like that? Um, I think I was a pain in the ass, to be honest. I was just one of those kids who just does what they want, doesn't listen to anyone. I still am. <laughs> but, but so, so that, that's the same as like I was. I was one of the. But did you? Is that because you hated kind of authority, or you just kind of you just were? For for me, for example, I was one of these kids who were. I was super frustrated, and mm. I remember feeling this frustration within me, and I didn't know what it was because I was annoyed at that. The, it sounds so bizarre, this, but the limitations of my age. Yeah, I was six years old, and I was like, I don't want to be six years old. I want to be eighteen. I, I couldn't to wait to leave school. Like I just didn't want to be there anymore. Didn't want someone to tell me what to do anymore just but I was quite I was quite a good person at school I mean I went to a crap school in a sort of country in a country village and a country town so I just couldn't wait to leave I just wanted to go and do something else what because it was like you felt you felt it was small time in a sense you felt that there were other things out there I just want I didn't want to be told what to do I wanted to go and do my own thing there was just other stuff out there I was probably quite a good pupil I think you know I did my study took my exams you know what you're supposed to do but I mean I just wanted to go and do my own thing but but is it because you because a lot of you know a lot of kids because you you know you grew up in sort of the country you, you said you kind of had that sort of village mentality where mm. you were just everything there is it because yeah that village mentality <laughs> um, is that because you kind of had aspirations that you knew there were more things out there you know a lot of people used to read books or see movies and go God this is what I want to achieve and because that's a rarity normally what happens if you uh, a lot of people who grew grow up in kind of a, a small village or in the countryside kind of quite like that kind of atmosphere. They like, that's sort of their safe zone, right? And the sort of city and more things is a bit more scary. Yeah, I always wanted to leave. And I, this is going to sound really, um, really wanky. I don't really know how to say it, but I always thought... Wanky's a good word. I always <laughs> thought that I was... I've always wanted to be a boss. I always wanted to be, I was, whenever you had like career days and stuff and our career days were really crap because there was just someone who worked in the local library saying, what do you want to do as a job? Whenever we had career days, I always wanted like the big job. I want to do the big job. I want to be a surgeon. I want to be a fighter pilot. I wanted to be an American footballer. I wanted the big <laughs> job. Like that's always, so I always felt like I was going to do something big. I kind of felt I, I'm, I'm going to do something worthwhile, which sounds really wank. But does it though? It's quite a weird thing that, isn't it? Why yeah. do we feel that it's, I don't know. I just had these sort of delusions we've, of we've got, well, we're going to be successful or have the big job. It's never sometimes find a not it's, American saying, oh, "I don't want to, you know, I don't want to admit it, but I'd like to be a." Pilot. It's not very English thing, is it? To <laughs> no, say no, I'm, no, I'm going to, and it's also not it's weird, that isn't it? It's one of my kind of pet peeves, really. Yeah. You know, in the UK and lots of the people that Jamie and I have um, been chatting to on the podcast, kind of say similar things. They don't. They don't necessarily have the. I don't know what it is. Kind of the don't feel like they've got the right to actually yeah. say what they really want to be. I think quite often you th- people think that they're better than what they're doing. I find it like 
growing, like, so in my 20s, in, when I was in a kind of corporate job, a lot of people felt dissatisfied. And they're like, I, I can do better than this. Very few people actually do anything about it. And I think that's what defines a kind of an entrepreneur or someone with get up and go is they actually do something about it. Absolutely, yeah. And so obviously we're here today to talk about Botanic Lab mm. um, and everything you're doing there. But for us, it's always interesting to know which is the questions that Jamie's kicked right off with, you know, the background of that person and kind of what got you to where you were. So before you started the business, to go back, you were mm. working in uh, finance? I was a, yeah, investment banker for 10 years. Okay. Um, so I left Somerset, um, moved to the big smoke, um, trained as an accountant, and then went to work in like private equity, money raising. So not a traditional route for someone from my background or frankly for a girl either. Um, mm -hmm. So... Looking back, I'm really glad I did it. It was a really like strong foundation for running a business, like the, the things like raising money, writing business plans, those kind of things don't scare me. Um, but I got frustrated. Like I wanted to, I, I always felt I could do better than the people I was working for. Again, just a really arrogant kind of position. I always thought I could do better. Yes, I don't think it's arrogance. I just think it's, I think it's confidence and I think it's um, believing that you, you, well, you just want more. Not more. You want yeah. more, right? Yeah. yeah. I want more, but it takes, it took me quite a long time to find the courage to do something about it. I mean, I wish I'd done it when I was 21, 22. I was 30 when I left my banking job. I'm 38 now. You know, I, I wish I was younger than this doing this because it's, yes, it's hard work now. So I wish I was kind of, I'd done it earlier and kind of got a, got a more of a head start on it. But it's interesting, right? Because what Ed and I have discovered having chatted so many entrepreneurs and different people and founders and just sort of successful people in their own right is that their sort of background defines them as a person when they get older. And what was interesting, because you, you've, you've mentioned uh, in sort of interviews and things like that, that you used to practice yoga with your mum. Uh, and so, and you lived in Somerset and you were kind of this, I sort of sort of free spirited kind of person where you, but the corporate side of things was never there. And so, and so what drove you towards the corporate side? Was it the financial benefit? Was it the, it was that? Yeah, was I mean, that. I'm always very, very honest in that my driver for every career choice I've made, including doing this, was I wanted to make money. And I'm not ashamed of that. It still is my driver. It doesn't have to be everyone's driver, but I think it's important to know what yours is. And I went into banking because I wanted to make money. Um, and I was good at maths. And it kind of felt like, you know, that was a good thing to go and do. <laughs> so you go well together. Uh, yeah. And, and I still want to make money. And that's kind of why I'm making the choices I'm making now. But my risk appetite has changed from where it was when I was 21, where I was 30, even where it was two years ago. So I think I've kind of, my attitude I was actually going to ask you about changed. that because obviously... Um, Risk and accountancy don't necessarily go hand they in do hand. Not, no. um, how do you? So you're, but then obviously founding a business is high risk. Yeah. So that was that something you always had, or is it something you've had to get used to? Uh, no, I've had to grow into that, and I've had to, I've had to learn to accept risk. I've had to get more comfortable with it. My idea of what is risky now has changed significantly over mm -hmm. the last eight years, um, to an almost immeasurable degree. I mean, I've been quite lucky in that I've had some pretty experienced entrepreneurs that have helped me and guided me and are used to that kind of risk approach. So I've, I've sort of helped when I felt that things got too risky, have helped kind of guide me through that because I think if I hadn't had that, I probably would have gone, that's too much for me now. I can't, I can't kind of deal with that. But I've had to get out of this men mentality of having a regular paycheck every month and kind yeah. of having a certain amount of savings and having a certain buff. Because I you know, I don't come from money, so it's anything I have I've made myself. Mm -hmm. So it's it, it, that's quite that was quite a big 
big adjustment to get over to start with. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting because I think you're totally right. I think that in uh, when setting up a business, setting up a brand, or just in life, you need to have a destination and work back from that. Whatever your destination is, and a lot of people um, that I speak to or Ed speak to, we all speak to. You kind of say, "What do you want to do?" And they go, "Well, I don't know. I want to. I want to kind of be this or kind of be." They don't really know what you you right or wrong. It's your opinion. Your drive was the financial gain. That's what you want to achieve. You, you know, you wanted to get there. And it was about finding a way to it. Um, but I find it interesting because that sort of the sort of corporate background of things that that sort of corporate side, you wanted to go make money. But the, a lot of people say that, you know, when you work for someone else, you're kind of making them a success. That's what you're doing. You're not making yourself a success. You're making them a success. You're making them more money in a sense. And so going into that, when did you suddenly realize that this is something that you didn't want to do? And you were like, actually, no, this is not what it's cracked up to be. It wasn't so much about making other people money. It was more the, the type of, of work that I did was about advising other people who'd started businesses on how to sell them or what to do with them next. And I always felt like a bit of a fraud. Like I've never done this. I've never built anything from scratch. And in some cases, these were people who'd started their businesses 30 years ago and had real experience in in building something from nothing who I really admired. And then there's me, five years into a job in the city, telling them what they should be doing. I, I felt like a fraud. And so you had imposter syndrome in the Yeah, city. slightly. And, and I made a decision sort of halfway through through that period in my career to, to go and leave and go and work for some entrepreneurs and understand more about what drove them. And, and the people I worked for at the time were like, you're absolutely crazy. This is really unpredictable. They're unpredictable people, which they absolutely were. But it just put me in this totally different mindset and environment of how, you know, and, and, and showed me that it was a totally different way of working that was more risk focused um, and def definitely riskier than what I was doing. But that sort of led me into doing it myself. And that made me want to do it myself because I didn't want to do it like them. I thought I could do it better. Um, I wanted to be blatantly wanted to be the person at the front of it. I wanted to be the one kind of getting the glory for it. Speaks cool. like a true entrepreneur. That's <laughs> yeah. exactly what it is. You think you can do things better than anyone else and yeah. you can do it different, yeah. which which is amazing. So talk us through that exact <clears throat> kind of time. So for obviously for a lot of our listeners of the podcast, people maybe are sat at home thinking about mm. breaking out of the job that they're mm. not happy in and want to go and start their own thing or, or move towards something more entrepreneurial. Mm. You said you went and worked for some entrepreneurs. What did you Exactly what did you do? So that over that sort of 10-year period, I went. I worked for some entrepreneurs running their investment offices. Um, so again, the financial side of things, raising money, selling and buying businesses. So the same as what I'd done before, but just a slightly different environment. And I eventually got fed up with that as well. And I was like, I need to do something. And this this part of my journey, let's say on the X Factor, <laughs> is not pretty. It's it, it was, I got to 30, which for a woman is a difficult age anyway. I was sick of my job. I was sick of my boyfriend. And I gave them all up. And and You did a complete spin. I did a complete baby out with the bathwater. And once I'd done it, there was no great moment for me. It was like, oh, fuck. Like, what do I do now? And it took me probably nine months to get out of that head spin, which was like, oh, I can see my bank account ticking down. What am I going to do? I know I want to do something on my own. I don't know what it is. What am I going to do? When I got out of the head spin, I kind of, I put myself out there and started meeting people that I wouldn't have ordinarily met. So... I started teaching yoga. I'd always practice yoga, so I kind of learned to teach. And I, I kind of started putting myself in that universe, which was a very health and well-being universe, which led to me meeting lots of people in healthy food and drink, which led to me meeting people in drinks, which led to me starting a drinks business. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? 
They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I never would have done that if I'd sat at home or sat in my old job thinking, what am I going to do? What business am I going to start? Because I was always in the same universe of people. So was, to, to begin with, people. I suppose, it was just about, for you, surrounding yourself with the people that you aspire to be more like. Yeah, and allowing a little bit more creativity to flow because being in a financial career and background, it's very disciplined, but it's very ordered. And I'd always considered myself, because I'd always been told that you're not a very creative person. I actually am because I wouldn't have done this if I wasn't. But that that side of my personality needed a bit more free reign to, to kind of come out. And I needed to put the fear and the fear in a box and go and kind of see what else was out there. But it's interesting because, you know, what, I get, what I'm sort of gauging from this, right, is that uh, I think you are definitely creative, but also you're not scared of a challenge. And, and that is what's so interesting is that, the, you know, the biggest factor that it comes across anyone when they're starting a business or doing anything in life is the fear of failure. And you don't have that. Go back to you when you were a kid, you used to climb the fence into Glastonbury mm. or you would go and hitchhike as a 14-year-old. Yeah. Most people wouldn't do that because that's outside their comfort zone. Yeah. You came from Somerset and you decided to move to London uh, to, to go into a corporate world that you did, had no idea about you just went and did it you turn 30 years old you just cancel everything quit everything and just but you do that that's a, that's an amazing thing to have and I think from you you just sort of see that as oh this is what I need to do no one most people live their life in a little bubble because it's a safe zone you you find the safe zone boring you crave that kind of adrenaline rush from getting different things because you want to achieve so much more and that's what you need to 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 in order to succeed I think it's something I've punished myself for in the past which is that in in normal I get I get um, fidgety I get uh, and I, I end up doing something that I something really bad or something really good that changes the situation and I just accept now that that's what I'm like I although I I find entrepreneurship very challenging and it is challenging the up and down and the difference in your day is actually really what I thrive on like none of my days are ever the same some of them are really really quite hard some of them are yeah I'm elated in some of them but I think I have that personality that kind of craves that that up and down. Um, and as I've gone on in this kind of entrepreneurial journey, I've learned to ride that a little bit better than maybe I did in the beginning because I found it quite challenging to start with. So what you're talking about there is you don't really like routine. No. Uh, you don't like routine. But then, so is anything in your life routine at all? Do you have anything that is sort of structured at all? No. Nothing. So everything is all sort of over the place. I mean, my the way I work is actually quite structured. Which is so funny, right? Because that's but, what happens a lot of the time is that, yeah. you know, running a business, you have to have routine yeah. structure, but your everyday life isn't. My everyday, my, my diary is chaotic. My I have too much packed into it. My days are sometimes erratic, but the way that I work is very, very structured, um, which is maybe a throwback to, to where I started my career. Um, which I think some of the people around me find quite challenging because I'm often kind of off on different tangents all the time, but I kind of get shit done, to be honest. But not everybody works in that way. But then you you did all this corporate 
life and you got to 30 years old as you said um and i think for a lot of people a lot of people are hungry and they're driven and they become 21 years old or 20 years old and they go right i'm going to start a business and and ed and i did that you know we we sort of started it but we had a bit of an advantage because we had a marketing platform through me which was i mean that's the biggest advantage you can have when you're starting out a business get the name out there and we had that but for a lot of people out there they they go and start a business and you started at 30 and you speak about naivety and how important naivety is. And Ed and I also say that naivety is is a, a huge kind of factor in starting a business. But how much did that world before leading up to 30 teach you about business and understand how much do you value it now? Do you think it was worth doing it? It was definitely worth it. It gave me an incredible network, um, which when you come to raising money and asking people to believe in you was imperative for me. So it gave me a credible network that I draw on now. At the time when I was in that 10-year period, I was so frustrated and I would quite often I would see them as big failures when things didn't work out the way I wanted them to. Looking back with the fullness of time, they were incredible experiences that have served me really well now, um, given me the ability to be much more resilient than I might otherwise have been. And resilience, as you know, is the kind of one thing you need in absolute bucket loads when you do this. Um, so they're really valuable experiences, I think. And Is that is that coming from a, a female point of view? Are you saying that it was tricky being a female in the corporate world or no? Uh, I, I don't really like playing that card because I sure. don't kind of... I don't necessarily agree with some of the rhetoric that there is now, but yeah, it was like I was I was in a minority in that kind of world, um, and and you have to hold your own, right? You have to hold your own. You have to kind of learn how to how to. Yeah, it's actually not necessarily a bad thing being in a minority in that world because it makes you stand out, to be obvious. Um, but it does mean you learn you learn how to kind of yeah, like I said, hold your own. It's interesting because I always talk about that. People ask about boarding school. I went to boarding school from the age of eight years old, and people say, "Why, why do your parents do that?" And I went to college. It's true. It's a terrible thing to do. I mean, I don't think sending your child who's eight <coughs> to boarding school and not even telling them what boarding school is about. <laughs> it's like, where's mum gone? Um, but what it did teach me is that you're thrown into an environment where you have to make friends. You have to network. You have to socialize. Otherwise, you fail. The same with you. Even though you're a minority and you're kind of seen as, you know, a bit of an outsider in a sense, you have to make friends. So you learn how to meet people and adapt and chat. And those, you're like a Swiss army knife then. You have all the attributes that you need in order to survive in this jungle of, yeah. you know, the business world. So then, I, this is, so then you, you're 30 years old. You I wish your... I was 30 years old. <laughs> <laughs> you, you were 30 years old. <laughs> you, once upon a time. Yeah, once upon a time. You've, you've broken up with a boyfriend. You've changed your job. You uh, are in this space. You've waited nine months. Your bank balance is dropping and you're, you're, you worry about finance anyway. You then go, right, I, I want to set something up. What was that process like? Um, it wasn't this first of all. So importantly, which most people who've done anything, they failed a few times. So I, I had two other businesses. One of them was something to do with yoga. I can't remember what they are now, but I tried various things and they yeah, made a bit of money from them, but they, they weren't anything that I could scale or they weren't roaring successes that I wanted. You know, obviously this kind of me thinking that I'm the best at doing anything. I wanted to have this amazing success. Um, so they were a little bit of a failure and I kind of then became quite despondent. What am I going to do now? Um, and I ended up falling upon this as a concept and idea from a, from a group of people that I met. And I went into it knowing nothing about drinks, knowing nothing about FMCG, knowing nothing about retail, knowing nothing about manufacturing, like completely naive. But also with your to your yoga business, was that your first um, experience of failure in your life? 
Um, probably. I mean, I, I think my career up until that point had been relatively positive. I'd always been quite good at it. I'd always been promoted quite heavily. I'd always, it'd always been, yeah, it'd always been quite, quite successful. I think that early experience was the first time I really felt the sting of failure. And yeah. that's hard, right? Yeah. I, it, it's super hard. It doesn't matter what, hey, if you, if you're constantly achieving things and you're, constantly doing well I remember I went to university and I was was the guy who was always very good at sport and all the and then you arrive at university and instead of being a big fish in a small pond you're kind of a small fish in a massive, massive pond. pond yeah and, and also I was used to having the business card as well saying yeah. that this big job title and these and I had, didn't have any of that and suddenly there were a certain group of people who wouldn't listen to me anymore and that's okay I think you kind of learn that those people probably weren't the ones that you needed to help you, but but actually at the time, a lot of my personality and my self-worth was tied up in being this certain type of individual, and I had to kind of let that go and try and find, it sounds a bit spiritual, but try and find myself, like find my self-worth again so, so I could get other people to believe in me and get people to come along this journey with me. But also, again, Rekha, you have to you have to congratulate yourself because, again, it's, I just, I find it fascinating that you are able to drop everything. You're able to set up one business. I go, okay, I'm not doing that one. Set up another one. Okay, I'm not doing that one. And uh, you're, you're, what you're doing is you're, you're going through the reads, trying to find actually what you're good at and mm. actually what satisfies you and actually what you know about. Mm. And a lot of people just don't do that. And this is what this podcast is about. It's about motivating individuals to go out there and actually follow your dream. That, that life doesn't have to be on one road. It's never straight line. It's never straight and line. And it's not now either. It's not like I've reached this success point now. It's It's... It's still I fail every single day at something. Probably lots on of a trial mind. And error. Yeah, lots of trial and error. Um and I was talking to to one of my investors the other day who's like a mentor to me and I was like, Why why didn't I get to this place quicker? Like still asking myself these questions. Why didn't I realise this three years? And he he said, Look, you just never do. You try you try a load of different things until you find something that works. Um so you know, always there kind of punishing myself a little bit that I haven't made the right choices or got to the right place fast enough or, you know, could have, should have, would have, you know. But that's impatience. <laughs> and I think that's just the curse, isn't it, of all of us. We yeah. all want to do things yesterday and yeah. we all probably are our own biggest critics. Yeah. But what was it then about, so when you started Botanic Lab, what was the, I think that probably lots of people might be familiar with the CBD drink, mm. um, which was the first in Europe? It was the I first believe. in Europe, yeah. Amazing. A lofty accolade, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. so cool. <laughs> and... Um, how did it start? What was the kind of attraction for you to to getting into that world? The, the honest answer, and again, this is not a glamorous response, is that I never really intended to be at the centre of this business. In that I met someone who was interested in drinks, a chef, and I was just going to raise the money because that's kind of what I knew how to do. <laughs> I'll raise the money, I'll take a stake in it, and I'll kind of help you run it. And it became apparent very quickly that that wasn't the way it was going to work because I, this was someone who wasn't capable of doing that and I'd gone to people who I knew to raise this money and I was left with this responsibility. So it's like, okay, I need to I need to do this. So I need to learn how to do this. And I think... Wait, sorry, because you felt, um, you felt the, the responsibility, you were looking after other people's money. Yeah. So you yeah. couldn't just say, sorry, we, this is other people's money we're handling here. Well, it's people I know as well. You know, when yeah. I've gone to someone, I've said, you need to believe in me and it is me. And ultimately, like with businesses that start like this, people invest in a person. It doesn't, it's not really about mm -hmm. what the business is. It's a person. So I had to, I had to step up. And I think that part of me was not, was not ready to say it's all about me. 
like you see me sat here now and I'm like I've done a great job and I've launched this first CBD drink in Europe and everything's great. It wasn't always like I wasn't always as comfortable with this as I am right now. In the beginning, it was like, well, someone else can take the limelight. I'll just I'll do the money raising or I'll do the business development or I'll. It took me a while to say, actually, do you know what? This is about me. People have put money into me. I'm the one who's good at this. I'm the one who's selling this. I'm the one who's making this work. So this is actually about me. Why did you shy away from that? I don't know. I, I'm not sure is the honest answer. I think I, I wasn't... I, I, I envy those kind of people who are an entrepreneur from the day they were kind of born and selling shit when they're teenagers. And that wasn't me. I had to kind of... I had to build myself into this. But again, if I was going to be your psychologist here, which I, I, I think it's because you think you have this imposter syndrome where you, you mentioned before that you don't think, wait, hang on, this isn't, this isn't, you know, I'm just here to raise the money. I'm not meant to be running this whole kind of thing, which, which is strange because you're so confident in other areas, but then areas like that probably you're not so confident, which is yeah, an interesting juxtaposition, right? I've been on a, a really big evolution while I've been doing, I think every, you change as you go along this process has changed me a lot and I've learned that I'm a lot more robust than I thought I was I have a lot more skills than I thought I did and you know at this point along the line I'm probably a quite different person from the one when I started it but that took me some time to kind of evolve through that and you know a few knocks and a few failures and you know a few successes as well Jamie bad news that is the end of part one what I know I know we got there so quick but don't fear, part two is coming right up, just one click away. So everybody that's listening, just go over and click part two. Thank you so much for listening. Honestly, it really does mean a huge amount. And we also hope today's podcast has inspired you to move towards your dream or passion. Now, if you like the podcast, please subscribe and leave us a comment. And if you'd like to get in touch, please email us at move at moveclub.co.uk or follow us on Instagram at moveclub. Until next time, this is Move. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.